0: 2017. 2017. That means there have been 2023 Easter Sundays. Because our calendar is six years off. 2023 days that Jesus' resurrection has been celebrated by saints somewhere or around the world. Isn't that awesome? Who would have thunk, you know, this little backwater town in the middle of a little corner of the Roman Empire could produce the king of glory, that what he began, when he came up out of that water and the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove, would take over the world. 2,023 times we would celebrate the fact that, yes, they killed him, but, yes, God raised him, and we're the fruit of that seed. not that awesome? Yes. So let's read the account, Matthew 28. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. He's not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. I like one version says, Rejoice. Right? And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So do you think for even an instant, that the stone was rolled away to let Christ out. Mm. Let let me show you some, some artwork. Put up that first picture, would you? That's nice, huh? Go on to the next one. Ooh, look at that, huh? Wow. Next one. Gee whiz. There it is. There it is. So that's the classic depiction of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That has been displayed as artwork for 1,500 years. This is the picture that's been planted in the minds and the hearts of generations of people. Not even one of the Gospels describe what these pictures depict. Did you hear what I read to you? Not one of those pictures depicts, but it's probably the picture you have in your head of the resurrection. I like what N.T. Wright says. He says, we need to stop offering the world 19th century answers to 15th century questions. We need to provide 21st century answers to 1st century questions. What really happened at the tomb on that first Easter morning? Matthew's account is the most dramatic of the four resurrection narratives. Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb. There's no reason given. The earthquake takes place and the angel rolls back the stone as a story The stage is now set for a marvelous event. We might expect Jesus to rise and come out of the tomb, just like the artwork displays, yet that does not happen. Remember what the angel said to the women? He's not here. He has, past tense, risen. The resurrection has taken place already while the tomb was sealed. The tomb is empty. In this gospel, as in the other gospels, we do not actually have a resurrection account in a strict sense, but a post-resurrection account. The transformation of the physical to the spiritual body has already taken place, an act of God that took place apart from human view. What the father did with his son, he did in private. There are no more barriers for the resurrected king of glory. He has overcome death. He does not need doors to enter or exit. Listen to John in the 20th chapter of his gospel, verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, the same day of the resurrection, when the doors were shut. The doors were what? Shut. My guess is that means closed, bolted, locked down, right? Because where the disciples were assembled for fear, What do you do when you're inside your home and you're afraid? You lock the doors. You don't just shut them, you lock them, you bolt them, you shut down, right? This is the state of the disciples. This is what Jesus comes to that evening. Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be unto you. Who opened the door? The stone wasn't rolled away to let Christ out. The stone was rolled away to let us look in. But certainly to let us see more than just an empty tomb. We have been invited into an eternal hope. Now made sure by what is found in that tomb. And what is found in the tomb is nothing. Nothing absolutely nothing and that is precisely the point the tomb is empty and he is alive I like what the biblical scholar Thomas G Long says about Mary and Mary in these verses without even knowing that they had crossed the border they left the old world where hope is in constant danger and might makes right and peace has little chance, and the rich get richer, and the weak all eventually suffer under some Pontius pilot or another, and people hatch murderous plots, and dead people stay dead. And they entered the startling and breathtaking world of resurrection and life. It is easy to understand the mixed emotions of being both fearful and filled with great joy at a moment such as this. God had just intervened in human history in an amazing way and turned death, the ultimate reality, into new life. What an astounding God we serve. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. Have you lost someone recently? within memory, are there certain times of the year, certain holidays when you pause and think and a sadness might take over your heart because you're remembering someone that's no longer here? We don't want you to be uninformed about this. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep, for the self- For he himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean always be with the Lord in the air. Don't connect those. We're just always going to be with him. he goes, we go. (laughs) Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage your own heart with these words. When sadness wants to take a grip of your heart or or your memory, remember these words. We will be with him. Listen again to Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us the victory. Hallelujah, saints. Hallelujah. He is alive. And now look at what that means for us. In John 11:25, 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection, and the life. And that statement, that statement, I am the resurrection and the life, has now become Jesus' reality, which in turn has powerful ramifications for our lives. John 20, 11 says this, Mary stood outside the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she knelt to look into the tomb and saw two angels sitting there dressed in white, one at the head and the other at the foot of where Jesus' body had been laid. They said to her, woman, why do you weep? They took my master, she said, and I don't know where they put him. After she said this, she turned away and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't recognize him. Jesus spoke to her woman, why do you weep? Who are you looking for? She, thinking that he was the gardener, He's up to that again, right? Planting a garden. Hmm? Said, mister, if you took him, tell me where you put him so I can care for him. Jesus said, Mary. Turning to face him, she said in Hebrew, rabboni, meaning teacher. Jesus said, don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Now listen to this. Here are the ramifications of the resurrection and the life for us. Go to my brothers and tell them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. My brothers, my sisters, not my disciples, not my servants, not my followers, not even my friends, but my brothers. My Father, your Father, my God, your God. Jesus Christ, through his atoning death, has reconciled us to God the Father. And he himself, through the power of the resurrection, has become the first fruits of a whole new planting of the Lord. The second Adam has come up out of the ground in the midst of the garden, the beginning of the restoration of all things. And we have become sons and daughters of the resurrection, continuing the work of reconciliation. He is the first of who we have become. And we the Father's eyes look just like him? Hebrews 2.9 says this. What we do see is Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels because of God's wonderful kindness. Jesus died for everyone. I'll let that sink in for a minute. Jesus died for everyone. Now, you cannot exclude anyone from that, no matter how you feel about them. No matter what your opinion of their political position is, what they're doing that displeases you or shocks you or causes you to grieve, and I'm talking severe stuff, you know, the guy who's dropping gas on his own people. Guess what? Jesus died for him. That guy on TV you saw cutting off the other guy's head in the little orange jumpsuit. Jesus died for both of them, the one going down and the one with the knife. Jesus died for everyone. Please keep that in mind, because at some point in time, you used to be on the other side of that equation. And when you came to realize that Jesus died for you, suddenly you jumped through and ended up in a garden. And you met the gardener. And you got something you didn't deserve. You got eternal life. You got resurrection life. You got a second chance. You got a new life. You got empowered to be something that you could never be without the power from on high. And it was free to you. And it will be free to them. They will never have to pay a price, although they owed it because Jesus paid it already, and it applies to everyone. And now that Jesus has suffered and died, he is crowned with glory and honor. Everything belongs to God. Isn't that good news? Everything belongs to God. You know what that means for us? Every power and principality that had sway over our minds and our hearts is now under subjection to God. You have nothing to fear except the lies that Satan throws after you once you start to believe them because that's the only weapon he has left. Satan could never say to Jesus again, I will give you all the kingdoms of this world if you'll bow down and worship me. They're no longer his to give away. Everything now belongs to Jesus Christ. The God you worship, the God you serve owns it all. Nobody else has greater power than Jesus Christ. Everything belongs to God and all things were created by his power. So God did the right thing when he made Jesus perfect by suffering. As Jesus led many of God's children to be saved and to share in his glory, Jesus and the people he makes holy all belong to the same family. You belong to the Jesus family. Bunch of little Nazarites. <laughs> that is why he isn't ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. He even said to God, I will tell them your name and sing your praises when they come together and worship. You know, he was here this morning during the worship set, speaking to our hearts and our spirits. You know, one of the things I love in doing the soundboard, I think I've shared this before, you know, I see people that are new, uh, not only to this church, but perhaps to the experience, the uh, intimacy of the worship that we offer. And, you know, the first week or two that they come in during the worship, they're kind of like this. Then maybe third weekend, uh, like this. then they go like this. And after about a month, oh, the heck with it. <laughs> you, know, you know what this is? They can't resist him. They can't resist him. Jesus walking around and affecting their heart. And, you know, the response to that can only be one response. You've got to lift your hands and praise him. I tell you a little story from South Carolina yeah. yeah so soon after Martha got saved down in South Carolina in the midst of a lot of personal strife and uh, she said she was driving her car you know and listening to worship music and she's holding on with her two fingers in she wants to praise the Lord you know and she was singing. a psychiatrist seeing a psychiatrist so she said to him am I losing my mind I got this worship going on and I just want to lift my hands you know what is that what the heck is going on she said you're not crazy it's the natural response it's what every human being will do and they praise the Lord really praise the Lord you're going to lift your hands because the presence comes it's the normal response What what did I read? What Jesus says to the father. He even said to God, I will tell them your name and sing your praises when they come together to worship. Wow, that was going on this morning. Jesus is walking around and we're praising the Lord and he's talking to dad. He's saying, oh, will you look at him? Will you look at her? Look at what she's doing. Listen to what she's saying. Listen to what her heartbeat is saying to you, father. He's intimately involved with our worship. He's inviting heaven in, drawing heaven down. John twelve twenty four says this, and this is a divine principle. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. Resurrection. This is why Jesus calls us to die to self. So that we can be brought to a greater and more fruitful life. You don't need to abide alone. Maybe you just need to change. And you can. In Christ. In the power of the resurrection. Romans 8.11 says, this is out of the message version it stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus. Shall I read that again? Can you allow this to sink into your brain? Okay. It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, has he moved into your life? He'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive to himself. When God lives and breathes in you, and he does as surely as he did in Jesus, you are delivered from that dead life with his spirit living in you. Your body will be as alive as Christ. This is what we have entered into an experiential relationship through the power of the resurrection, which is the spirit of resurrection. But more than just this, the fact is that when you step into this resurrection life, you also step out of something else. Hebrews 2.14, we are people of flesh and blood. That is why Jesus became one of us. He died to destroy the devil who had the power over death, but he also died to rescue all of us who live each day in fear of dying. He died to rescue us from our own fears. Romans 8.15 says this, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, as daughters, by whom we can cry, Abba, Father. The same thing that Jesus cried out, Abba, Father. Everyone wants to know if there is life after death. Maybe the better question is, is there life after life? The empty tomb answers this question with an emphatic yes. Paul in 1 Corinthians fifteen nineteen states, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, he's already gone out of the being lost in the world, if in this life only we have hope in Christ. How many Christians do you know? And perhaps you're one of them. Oh, I'm a Christian. I go to church on Sunday. Well, at least Christmas and Easter. Right? Well, I, I prayed the sinner's prayer. I'm gonna make it through. I'm okay, you're okay. We're okay, right? right? So you've got hope in this life. If in this life only you have hope in in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Paul's saying you're coming up short. If that's all you've got, you're coming up short because there's so much more that Jesus is offering to you. It isn't about church on Sunday, it's about the kingdom that is coming that's looking for a breakthrough through the life that you're living. It's about resurrection life bubbling up in you and wanting to get out into a world that's dying around you. It's about people who need to be healed and delivered, and you walk by them in the street and don't even take notice because the spirit of resurrection is slumbering inside of you, and you're all about Christ in this life. Or oh, I'll do the religious thing and I'll be okay and I'll make it to heaven. If that's the way you live in your Christianity, it's misery. Because there's so much more. But we do have a hope that transcends this life. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. He's already paved the way. He's already kicked open the door. What did he say? Follow me. Follow me. Do you think that only applied to the shoreline around the Sea of Galilee? Follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. So where is he now? Follow me. What's he doing in the world now? Follow me. He wants us to live that way now. Nothing has changed just because there's been 2,023 Easter's gone by. He's still the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's still saying to our hearts, follow me. How many Sockham students we got here? Do you understand a little more what it means to follow him now that you've gone a little deeper into understanding who you are in Christ? Is it different? Is your life different? Are the things that you perceive different? Are you more aware of his presence in your day-to-day living? Listen, we offer that to you. Come back in September. Sign up for the class. Find your way in and follow him. The invitation of the angel of the Lord echoes down through the ages. Fear not. For I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come and see." The invitation just keeps rolling through the scriptures, all through the gospel, over and over. Follow me, come and see, follow after me. We go here, we're going there, we're going up, we're going over. Jesus is on the move. He wants us moving with him. The invitation of the angel of the Lord echoes down through the ages Fear not, for he is not, he is not here. He is risen, as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. The tomb remains empty as proof that Jesus can fill your life. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life. Eternal life. When does that start? 2,023 Sundays ago, eternal life started. It flowed out of that rock-cut tomb, and it swept you up in its flow. You are in eternal life now. Doesn't mean you're necessarily living it, but you're in it. John seventeen three and this is real and eternal life, that they know you. They know you, ganosko. In Hebrew, yada, know, to know. Do you know what that means, Sarah? Yada, yada. You yada him. You yada friend, right? right? It's the knowing that a husband has with a wife. And when you know at that level you produce children, you bring forth life. That they would know God, that God would know them in such a way that the life you live begins to reproduce life after his kind. After his kind, not born of flesh and blood or the will of man, but by the will of God. And the work of Christ on the cross, that is gnosco, that is knowing, that is yada, that is intimate relationship with the living God who paid everything he could pay to possess you, to own you, to love you, to be known through the life that you live. That they may know you, the one and only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. If today you'd like to know Jesus as your Savior, or if you have never experienced the power of the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, I want you to prepare your heart during the last few minutes of this word because today you can. The river is still flowing. Life after death and the possibility of the resurrection has, through the ages, been the deepest question in the hearts of men. Listen to the glorious conclusion of Job in the oldest book in the Bible. This book was written pre-Abraham. So we're talking maybe pre-2500 B.C. It's old. Job 1923. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead they were engraved in the rock forever for I know that my redeemer lives and at the last he will stand upon the earth and after my skin has been thus destroyed yet in my flesh I shall see God whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold him and not another my heart faints within me the oldest recorded words of a man proclaim the resurrection from the dead how important is this belief for us today as Christians Paul in 1 Corinthians fifteen thirteen he says this but if there is no resurrection of the dead then not even Christ has been raised and if Christ has not been raised then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain vain means empty just empty words empty belief If there's no resurrection, this is all a big waste of time. And you're all going to be seriously disappointed when you don't wake up from going dead. You know? Paul is saying that without the resurrection, the cross was just a waste of time. And if the cross was ineffective, then all of our Christianity is just empty religion. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul, 20, Paul goes on to say, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. 2023 Sundays ago, Christ was raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The resurrection of Jesus, it follows from the nature of It follows from the nature of who God is. The God we know in the story of Israel and in the story of Jesus' earthly ministry is a God who has created us, loves us, and wants us for eternity. This life, this life, the one you're living right now, is not sufficient for that desire. Theologian Donald Jewell Reflecting on the resurrection account in the Gospel of Mark, once wrote that none of the Gospels can really end the story of Jesus. The whole point is that it continues, and that its significance continues. Jules' concise statement is a pretty fair summation of the meaning of Easter. Christ's resurrection means that the story of Jesus is. To be continued. Hmm? Ever see that at the end of being a TV program? I just about to come to the conclusion and to be continued. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> but it's to be continued in you. And we're not a commercial, believe me. We are not a commercial. We're not a break within the purposes of God so that he can pick up and run with it again at some point later. He's picked it up and running with us through us. And in every life that is touched by the power of the good news that he is risen, he is risen indeed. Let's pray. Holy Spirit. This is your stuff, Holy Spirit. Resurrection life. Zoe breath, the breath of life. The Father bent over Adam and went lip to lip with him, breathed into him. It was you. Who passed from the Father into Adam and made him a living soul? And the Father came into the tomb to raise Jesus from the dead. It was you, who was the first gasp in that dead body. And I'm sure you danced the divine dance in that cave, united again with your beloved Son. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, to breathe resurrection life in this room. I ask you, O God, that any heart in here that is like that tomb, Lord, that you would enter in and begin to breathe your life and bring eternal life to them. That you would begin to bear witness to the innermost parts of those who don't know you, that the story is true. The gospel account is, in fact, good news. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and now eternal life is free. By grace, we are saved. Come, Holy Spirit. I ask you, O God, to touch broken bodies in this room. Touch hearts and minds that are oppressed by negative emotions, oh God, or, or conditions of the mind or the heart. Bring healing on this day of ultimate healing. Lord, new bodies, no more pain, no more tears, no more suffering, no more disease, no more wars, oh God. That's your promise. That's the kingdom coming, oh God. We invite the kingdom in today that you'd give us a taste of what is in store, O God, a a down payment, an earnest of of the promises of the Father that is to come to be our permanent situation, O God. Won't you plant a garden in the hearts of us all today? Jesus. Jesus.